speed and reaction time training with neural movement specialist Reza Mofarahi on this episode of The Fight Focus. What's up, everybody? Buck Grant here. They say that 90% of fighting is mental, but what does that really mean? How do you train your brain to make better decisions under high stress and high speed scenarios such as boxing and mixed martial arts where a fraction of the second is the difference between winning and losing? Pro boxing heavyweight Bryant Jennings won on ESPN a few days ago and that put my friend Reza on the map. Reza's been working with him and other combat sports athletes with reaction time and cognition training and the results have been staggering. I had um, Reza come to my Muay Thai University coaches clinic last year to share what he knew and make my instructors better uh, instructors. And I was blown away by the science and the information that he had, some really applicable stuff that'll make you better at cognition, better at reaction, just a better overall fighter. On the show, we discussed how his work with special needs kids and their ability to process information was influential for his development of a training professional athletes, how he earned the trust of pro and Olympic level athletes and boxers, the issue of expertise and overstepping boundaries, the difference between cognition and reaction time or speed versus timing, what types of people are born faster than others, comes across as very controversial, very based in science, really worth listening to. The correlation between math and distance or math and distance management inside our brain and our cognitive processing of distance. Why agility ladders are bullshit. How to develop creativity in athletes through working with people with Parkinson's and how we discovered this, this concept, this notion how to spot bullshit reaction drills on the internet, and much, much more. This show is brought to you by, and always brought to you by, www.buckgrant.com. Check out my seminar schedule, upcoming workshops and retreats. And this year's pretty packed. I'm going to be somewhere pretty much every weekend between now and December. So if you want to come train with me, uh, come check it out. Go to the page and find out where I'm at. Would love to train with you, meet with you. You can check out my workshops, my online libraries, and you can go to um, find information about my retreat. I'm going to Costa Rica December 1st through the 8th. Would love to have you. Go to www.buckgrant.com and find out where I'm going to be next. This episode is also brought to you by www.aperturefightfocused.com. Check out the Aperture Academy online training library, which includes downloadable courses and material from myself, Ryan Hoover, Eli Knight, Jerry Wuhungi, and Amber Seklinski. Aperture, fight focus. Welcome to the renaissance of combat. Without further ado, here is Reza Mofarahi on this episode of The Fight Focus. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Fight Focus. This is Buck Grant here. I am here with my friend Reza Mofarahi from D.C. I think I got his last name right. Got it. On point. On point. Man, we met at uh, Capital um, MMA in Tacoma like uh, a year ago. Is that about a year ago? A little over a year? Maybe longer than that. Yeah. About a year ago. um, I was teaching classes and he comes up to me and goes, Yeah, I know you're into this mobility stuff, but I've been really doing some stuff with like cognition and reaction. And I've asked a lot of guys at the gym to come and check it out, but nobody's. Taking me up on it, and I was like, well, "Hell yeah, I'll take you up on it." Let's let I'm, I'm always fascinated with this stuff. And fast forward, year year and a half later, you're having some success with spreading what you do with some some pretty well renowned or up and coming guys in boxing and MMA. And man, I'm yeah, just man, glad to have you on the show, brother. Yeah, yeah, last week was wild. We were in Atlantic City um, for the PFL fights and a top ranked boxing match. So. Um, one of the guys I work with uh, in MMA, Luke, 
Lewis Taylor. Uh, he's in the PFL tournament. Um, he's currently ranked second in his weight division. Um, and he's crushing it. So he's like, I think, two fights away from a million dollars. Um, and then Brian Jennings, who's a heavyweight in boxing, uh, just had a big match with uh, Alexander Dimitrinko, a six foot seven Russian uh, based out of Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, he got wins in both uh, MMA and boxing. It was funny because like, we were the only trainers there at the casino or like anybody that was involved in the business that was actually in both worlds of MMA and boxing. Really? And we, we were, yeah, there's nobody else that was like going into the fights with the fighters and, um, you know, like there for both events. And uh, we were at the weigh-ins, we were at the press conferences. Um, I actually walked out with uh, Jennings for his fight, which is probably the coolest thing I've done so <laughs> far. And the energy level was insane. Um, and, uh, and my mom was super happy because she saw me on ESPN a couple times. So That's cool, cool, man. It's a rush just being in that event, much less being ringside with somebody who's about to go to war. Yes, yeah, it's, it's wild. Like even being in the back when they're taping up, and and uh, and it, it's funny because like literally, I swear like these type of things don't happen by coincidence. I swear like it's like God's plan or something. Because um, Shakur Stevenson was on the card too. He's the uh, silver medalist from the Rio Games for boxing. So he won a silver medal at the Olympics. Actually worked with them a lot um, uh, leading up to to the Olympics and, and getting we're doing the same stuff like reaction time training, cognitive training. So he was on the card too. So I was at the PFL fights going in with the fighters and stuff, and then I was at Jennings fight going in with them, and now I was going into Shakur's locker like area where he's getting taped up. So. You know, I'm interacting with everybody there. It's, it's, it's kind of like all these years I've been doing this, nobody really paid much attention to it. And it all come, you know, came together um, last week uh, into this one crazy, crazy event. And then it was funny because like, all these like sport agents and stuff also knew who we were. It was like the first time I had to introduce myself and like, hey, I'm Reza, I do, you know, A, B, and C. It's like, oh yeah, we've seen your stuff, really good stuff, we're gonna talk, you know, so. It was, uh, it was definitely a cool experience. That's cool, brother. Well, I'll tell you what, like, this is a, that's a good segue to, to talk about, like, to explain to people what it is you do, because, you know, this cognition reaction thing it has become very, for lack of a better word, trendy as of late, especially when yeah. Lomachenko started doing things with lights on walls and reaction off of stuff. And it kind of put it in the public spotlight, much like how Edo Portal and movement theory came into play when, when he was, you know, Conor McGregor's doing like alligator walks and stuff on, on, on the floor. But yeah, how would you explain what it is that you do? So, um, majority of trainers out there will tend to focus on the body uh, and like the physical properties by like strength, power, endurance, flexibility. Um, I approach it from the nervous system. So uh, I, I train the properties of the nervous system. So there's reaction time, impulse control, spatial awareness, cognitive processing, uh, creativity. Um, so those are the properties that I tackle. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of like the approach I take um, and uh, the thing that's kind of made me successful in this is I've been doing that a long time like seven years was you know seven years ago I started doing it and um, the thing that I, I was able to do through trial and error and just research and everything for seven years now I'm, I'm able to guarantee a fighter that uh, if I go in and I train you for 10 days I can shave off at least three tenths of a second off your average reaction time when striking so guaranteed, out of uh, 10 days of training with me, uh, gets you that much faster. And it may not seem like a big difference, you know, if you're not too familiar with the how long it takes to, to react, but a tenth of a second is a difference between like a, a being able to hit a target and not hit a target or getting punched in the face. So three tenths of a second after 10 days is a, is a significant difference. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty big. Anyone who's ever been punched in the face would know, like the 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 distant the difference between slipping a punch perfectly and getting knocked out by a punch is a fraction of of, of a second, a fraction yeah. of it. It's such a big deal, and you can do that in ten days with people. Yep, ten days. I've I've, I've worked with uh, a number of top boxers that have fought on um, 
Showbox and Showtime and ESPN and I worked with a couple of UFC guys and I haven't failed yet in in uh, less than ten days to shape off three tenths of a second. Um, I usually I usually start with a jab because the jab sets up everything else. Mm-hmm. So I'll, in, in ten days I'll for sure shape off three tenths of a second off the jab. Wow. What? So like how did you? You didn't come by this by by conventional means. I mean your work that you're doing in you know Maryland for example is actually with a different demographic than athletes yeah so I started off when I got out of college I was looking again into physical therapy school super competitive it's very restricted by insurance companies so you don't get a chance to be very creative in that industry so kind of went to this uh, privately owned facility that they work a lot with special needs children so kids with like autism or neuromuscular disorders and all the kids have problems processing information. So a lot of the exercises and, and stuff that I would do, I would, I would gear towards um, processing information, reacting to different stimulus. A lot of them have, they're either overstimulated or understimulated. So um, working with like different lights and, and tactile stuff and auditory things um, really helped uh, to improve like, you know, their, their um, interaction and how they moved and how they reacted to different objects. So. Um, and then, you know, the guy that owned the place was trying to get some pro athletes to come in too. So one day he hits me up uh, and he's like, yeah, we got this pro boxer coming in. He wants to check out the spot. And, uh, you know, none of us here know anything about combat sports. You're going on the that's done anything. And my background mostly is in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've been doing that for like six years. Dabbled in boxing just enough to, um, you know, respect the art <laughs> sure. and not know that I don't like getting punched in the face so um, I was like yeah sure I'll take a look so I watched all those fights and I was thinking like how can I impress this guy because you know all these boxers have a strength and conditioning coach they got you know their their boxing coach um, they do recovery stuff so I was like what can I offer this dude that you know he hasn't been exposed to and watching this fight I saw his last fight he had taken a bad hit and he was uh having a hard time, you know, he, he, he suffered a concussion, but he was still fighting after being hurt. Um, so I was, I was looking at that, I was thinking like, what happens to the brain during a concussion? How can I train him so that he can better protect himself if he's put in that situation again? And it kind of went from there, like I started taking things that um, I used with kids with neuromuscular disorders and kind of tweaking it and applying it to pro athletes and taking things I learned in school and college and, and just on the job and kind of went from there. And then, U.S. Olympic boxing coach was actually his coach at the time, um, Coach K, uh, K Karoma, uh, and he came in to see what I was doing, and that was kind of intimidating because I was like, here's this big time coach, and he's like watching everything I'm doing, he's probably thinking I'm like a complete dumbass. So I had these guys doing like really, I mean, you've seen the stuff that I do, it's like really out there, not your conventional type of exercises, I'm solving like math problems as they're moving and stuff, and I was like, he's either gonna think I'm a complete dumbass, or he's gonna like it, but he loved it, so, he ended up sending a lot of his guys over the years and I started getting more and more experience. And there was a lot of trial and error. Like some of the stuff I did, like I would not do today. Um, <laughs> and some of the stuff worked. So right now, you know, I think I got it down pretty, pretty well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Reza came in and worked with my Muay Thai University students at a coach's clinic and uh, showed some pretty eye-opening things. And one thing that's pretty prevalent in most sports is that once they've got an idea of how to train, it's really hard to bring in completely new information, particularly, you know, yes, we understand strength and conditioning and boxing, whatever, but to bring in something that's, you know, looks like, you know, like looks like we're playing video games. You know, half the time we're like, we're we're hitting lights and we've got lights on the floor and we're following it and we're catching balls and frisbees and doing mathematical problems. It's hard for someone to open uh, open up their mind, but what do you think it was that um, allowed them to receive what you were were putting out? Uh, the first thing was like I, uh, like I tried to pay really close attention to like good mechanics. So when they're throwing a jab, are they you know sitting on their butt? Are they not leaning forward? Are they not hinging at the hip? Is the posture good? Is the hand going straight out, coming right back? Um, are they not crisscrossing their feet? You know, I look at all these little things and, and we implement them. So I'm just taking something that the fighter has already done a million times that he's very good at and I try to make it harder, like 10 times harder. Mm. So 
that that there's familiarity there with it. So even though everything on the outside looks crazy, the movement pattern is still uh, pure. You know, try to get the, the purest movement pattern possible. Um, second thing was like after two three weeks of training, you know, I had a couple of those guys come in. It looked like they wanted to punch me. You know, they're like what the like, what the fuck you got me doing, Reza? You got me doing this crazy shit. They would get really frustrated. Um, and then after two, three weeks, they started noticing, like, you know, some of the things they would say is, like, I was in the shower, dropped the soap, and I was able to catch it. Like, it, it just, everything slows down around me. Or I'm driving, and, you know, I, I start seeing more of what's going on. It's like everything's in slow motion. It's like I got spider senses or something. <laughs> so, so when I get that kind of feedback, then, you know, then they're about it. You know, they're, they're like, okay, you know, I can get with this. Because everybody wants to get better, and, you know, it helps them, it helps them. Yeah. Well, you said something that um, made me think about the familiarity of the, the language, right? Like you understand the boxing language. And uh, I, I've always had, I've always been kind of studying the idea of like how much of a sport do you have to know in order to be helpful to someone? Like there's a lot of really good boxing coaches, for example, who are never boxing champions. There's been a lot of football players, uh, football coaches that you know, never stepped on the field. And there's a certain sweet point, point, right? A sweet spot where like, you need to know enough of the information to be able to speak the language, but actually maybe knowing too much of it could kind of get in your way to learn new things, you think? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think uh, like one thing I never do with all these pros is like hold the mitt sort of, even though mitt work is like very, um, you know, applicable, applicable to reaction time and uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of ideas I've had with, with the mitts that I would use with like very low level clients, but you know, holding it for a pro, like I'm not gonna do that. Like I know I know where I'm at on the spectrum of like what I can do and um, where I can help them. So I think a lot of times some people uh, think like if they, they see themselves as like an expert on a certain thing, they think they're an expert on everything and they try to like apply that, especially with fighting. I'm sure you see it all the time. You know, um, and then you know, just kind of like overstep their boundaries, and, and you're actually doing damage to the athlete versus like helping them out. So, I think yeah, you're right. You have to definitely have a balance and know where you're at on the spectrum. Yeah, it's uh, it's very rampant. I remember when I was, I think I shared this with you when I was coaching the MMA guys. We'd have various different coaches doing different things, like a boxing coach over here, MMA coach, CrossFit coach. Everybody's kind of plugging in, and I played the the role of the kind of the glue to all of it so that they were all kind of talking to one another but it was very common for like the boxing coach to like overstep his boundary and say alright well this is the only way that you need to throw this punch because otherwise in boxing is going to get you killed whereas yeah. my, my Thai boxing guy is like alright you know don't do that at all because and, and not understanding the full game enough to be able to plug in plug in information so it becomes it becomes quite a challenge yeah not that so when I don't know, like there's 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 a lot of language behind these what what we teach that helps people become clear about um, what you're doing. So you made a distinction between um, reaction time and cognition. Yeah. And I I think people tend to use them interchangeably, but they're two yeah. different things. And you explained it to us, and I couldn't do it justice. So <laughs> I love I love for you to be able to like explain it to us and kind of break it down. What are the differences? the two so the way movement uh so movement happens off of three steps right so you get a stimulus and that could be auditory visual tactile whatever right um, that information comes in and you process that information in your brain and then depending on what you process then you move right then you execute the movement so uh reaction time would be i always use analogy so like if you have uh, you have a, a sprinter, right, and he runs in a straight line, I like to equate that with reaction time. It's just boom, straight line, very simple. See something, you go after it, right? Uh, where cognitive processing, I look at it as being like agile. So you're not running a straight line, you're zigzagging. Mm. So you're moving from, uh, you're changing direction based on you know obstacles in front of you. So you're both, in, both, in both scenarios, you're running forward, you're moving forward. But one, you're moving forward while having to make decisions and stuff. The other one's just a straight run. So um, I kind of look at reaction time as like a straight run and cognitive processing is as being agile. And 
that's why I ask fighters, you know, when we're working on stuff, I'm like, would you rather be a very agile athlete or just a straight running athlete? One is very one-dimensional while the other one is three-dimensional. So, mm. and they both play off each other and they both benefit you in competition. But, you know, there's certain scenarios where you, you, the cognitive processing weighs heavily on stuff. Mm. And, and you, was it true you were saying like reaction time can often be something that's genetic? Like, Yeah, so based on research, um, there are a couple factors that uh, kind of like predetermine whether you have faster reaction time than somebody else. Um, the first is if you're right-handed or left-handed. Left-handed people tend to have a faster reaction time than right-handed individuals. Uh, and I posted this on Instagram one time and I got a lot of um, messages in my inbox from females uh, but based on research males have a faster reaction time than females um, and that's based on there, there's more muscle mass is being innervated by uh, the nervous system so you're going to get a faster reaction time um, and then the third was uh, people who have an extroverted personality and uh, who are high anxiety so people with those personality types tend to have faster reaction times as well. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting. They did a study on that, like uh, looking at personality types and, and how they affect reaction time. That's fascinating. Yeah, so if you're an extroverted, high anxiety male who's left-handed, you're you're pretty you're pretty you're fast. Set. <laughs> you should be you should be fast. Yeah. You shouldn't be slow. If you if you're slow, you're an outlier. Yeah. Huh. But then the other aspect of that is the cognition side, is the decision-making side of it. Yeah, so I was training uh, professional soccer goalies and I was working with multiple goalies at the same time, working on their reaction time. And I had a uh, professional soccer goalie who, worked, uh, who played for the Washington Spirit. And obviously every athlete, you again, they're always competitive. They wanna get higher scores, they wanna beat the competition. And uh, the female goalies just could not get faster reaction time scores than, than the male goalies. And I told her not to sweat it, it's not a big deal. I was like, but you can beat them in the processing. You know, so she had significantly higher uh, uh, processing scores versus the reaction time scores. So it's not like, a, like oh, because your reaction time is faster, you're gonna be faster than this person. It's, it's more, I think the, the cognitive processing aspect weighs more heavily on that because we don't live in a very linear, uh, world, you know, there there's constant changes happening in competition, things that you have to adapt to. So, if you're faster at making decisions, that overcompensates things. I mean, look at someone like Steve Nash, you know, or John Stockton. These guys are like not athletic whatsoever, but you know, they would kill it in basketball just because they're able to process information better than individuals around them. And I guess that correlates to the difference between speed versus timing. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, I remember I was watching Tim Duncan, you know, at the end of his career, and the commentator was saying that, you know, look, he's still getting, like, rebounds over guys who are jumping through the roof, and that's just based off, of, like, his understanding of timing. Mm. And, uh, you know, th so these type of things can be compensated for. And that's why I think, like, this whole uh, cognitive processing and, you know, um, working the nervous system and training nervous system versus the body is so important because... Yeah, I tell fighters this all the time. You have two fighters, right? And they're in the same weight class. And they both make weight, and they're roughly the same size. Um, based on their size, one, how much difference are they in strength? You know, there's gonna be a little bit of difference, but it's not gonna be like a significant difference in strength and power, you know? The real difference lies in like how they're able to adapt and, and, and time certain things and, and react. I think that weighs more heavily on the match than and their strength and power, personally, you know, it's my opinion. I was just talking to a strength and conditioning coach, um, Nicholas, on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about strength being arguably the most the the the, the, the most important component of of athleticism because everything is a component of strength, you know. Running is a component of strength because every time I hit the floor, my body has to be strong enough to push off the floor and go again relatively over and over and over. And the fact that like things like power, for example, um, or the speed component of it, like you said with, 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 with speed earlier, people are either fast or they're not. They either have a ton of myelin on their, their, their neurons or they don't. But the thing that you do have control over is how strong you can get 
but you're also adding another level to that is like with all those things being equal there's also a finite amount of time way you can get strong i can only get but so strong so then yeah. what's the other thing that i have control over is you know, now, I, would, I would disagree with them on that being strength being the most uh biggest deciding factor in like you know, competition because uh, i'll just give one example is uh what we call in the olympics when we do the was it the, the vault jump we take the big rod and jump over the the, oh, the vault, vault? And, yeah and pull ball, yeah, pull ball. And, uh, you know, like up until like a certain year, I forgot what year the Olympics this was, everybody's doing it the same way. So, you know, that was like, depending on how strong you are, how fast you are, those records being set were based on that. But one guy came in and did it different. He ended up going backwards over the pull ball. You know, he changed the entire form. Like everybody was going forwards before, then he decides like, all right, I'm gonna throw my body up over, you know, head first and go backwards. And he crushed all the records. Not everybody does it that way. Why, why, you know, like if, if strength was the defi- deciding factor in that scenario, then, you know, yeah. this guy, you know, he came up with a whole, with his creativity in his mind, he came up with a whole different way to move over the, the, the pole, the, the, whatever you call it. Yeah. And, you know, totally changed the game. Man, this thing, this, this same thing comes up a lot. This Fallsbury flop. Like, yeah. I think they do it over the, the high jump, the Fallsbury flop. Yeah. I literally did a podcast yesterday where a guy brought it up and he had um, a similar idea about it. Like, you know, technique was the, the determining factor. I guess the argument point being that everyone has to have a certain relative amount of strength in order to even like, you know, people talk about it in jujitsu all the time. Like, it's like, OK, yeah. it's leverage based. It's like, yeah, but what is our leverage based on? It's the, our ability to, like, stack our bones. Well, what moves our bones, our, 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 our muscle tissue? So you have to have a certain level to even be in the game. But then after that, there's you get more juice. You get more bang for your buck by focusing on different things. Right. Nah, I agree. Like, definitely strength is a huge part of, of competition and stuff. Another example you can use, too, is uh is uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? There was a year that they outlawed the dunk. This guy was dunking on everybody. So they, they decided, like, all right, we're gonna outlaw the dunk. And they start st- throwing up the, the sky hook. And his numbers are gonna go higher than when he was dunking. Yeah. That didn't take the same amount of strength whatsoever. It just changed the game. It yeah. changed the move and, and was able to adapt, you know? But if he didn't have the, the basketball IQ and creativity, that, you know, then his numbers might've been hurt. That's a good point, man. That's actually a really good point. That didn't have anything to do with his his squat or his bench press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and so, you know, that's, that's why I think, you know, if, if you have an athlete that is able to be creative, like, on the spot or, or come up with new ways to, to attack or, or evade punches and stuff, that that's, that's creates the, the greatest ones from the, the average, you know? Yeah. So I mean, you know, having experienced some of your um, some of your your concepts and principles and, and and drills and whatnot, I remember the one that was probably the most frustrating, <laughs> which was there were a lot of all of them were frustrating, like to the point like my brain felt like I was sweating when I got out of there, as most people. But the one where you had us move and do math equations, um, yeah. there's a lot of argument and debate about it afterwards. But first, I'd like you to explain what the drill is, why you did it, and then also why people were um, argumentative about it. Like, uh, I didn't hear the arguments afterwards, so it'd be interesting to hear, hear that aspect. Well, yeah, I can share my perspective on it, because my perspective yeah, was yeah. that if I suck at math in my head, then yeah. there seems to be a hole in the drill in the sense that, like, I'm not good at math, but you you com- you um you you commented about that, so I'd like yeah. to just talk about it and go from there. So there's always ways to tweak tweak the workouts. I've, I've dealt with like athletes who aren't very good at math, and and you know sometimes I have them rhyme or freestyle or, or something like that instead. Um, but to me, it, it, you know, and I always tell them I'm not scoring your math score. Like you could be babbling numbers for all I care. Like I wouldn't be paying attention to whether or not it's the fact that you're thinking about it. That's that's the thing I'm trying to do. Like I'm trying to get you to think. It doesn't matter if those answers are correct or not, or if you know how to do math well or not. The fact that your brain is working in that in that um and focused on that task in that way, that's the important thing. So the reason why I use math is that they've done studies to show that 
the same area of your brain that's responsible for solving math equations in your head is also responsible for your ability to judge distance. So um, I, I read somewhere that uh, fighter jet pilots will uh, do math equations while in flight simulators trying to determine where the ground and the sky is um, just mm-hmm. to, to get their orientation right. And if you think about it, um, you you know that you're two steps away or you need to close distance with two steps forward to be able to make contact with your opponent or two steps forward, one step to the side. In the same sense, you're thinking like, I need to get to the number 10 by subtracting from this number, you're thinking I need to go down three, you know, up to whatever, right? So you, you can see how that, that, that relationship kind of correlates in the brain, like the, the process of that thinking works, right? Um, so uh, the drill is you're moving within a 3D space, um, getting, getting to targets that are placed in front of you. Um, there's different ways of doing it, but just, just kind of, it's hard to visualize, but you're just trying to move in a 3D space to designated areas while maintaining your footwork. So if you're, you're a fighter, I'm telling you to stay in your fighting stance and move smoothly with, with sound footwork and balance um, and get to those, those designated areas while solving a math equation. So I'll give the, the client or the, the athlete a number and uh, I'll tell them, all right, so for example, number 20. Once you get to number 20 using three numbers, add, subtract, or multiply those numbers any way you want. So now there, there, there's infinite possibilities for that because there's infinite numbers, so there's infinite amount of equations. So you should be able to talk constantly and give me equations um, and do that while moving. The reason why I like that drill a lot is because it takes a lot of different aspects of cognition and forces your brain to work in those and, and, uh, and while moving. So uh, like I was saying, math works on spatial awareness, right? So you're, you're working on spatial awareness by tying in the mathematics with the movement um, and then creativity. So creativity was something I was trying to figure out a long time how to incorporate into um, training athletes. It was, it was a, a category that I never saw anybody, any other trainer or any other coaches use um, with their athletes. And so I read a lot of research studies on creativity to try to figure out how can I incorporate it into training. And one thing that I found was that um, they did studies and they found that when you're, when you're trying to be creative and move simultaneously, your body shuts down. It, it has a hard time staying in motion and being creative. So uh, one way to kind of like test that yourself, and uh, I'm going to advise you not to do it because <laughs> it's highly dangerous, but if you ever try driving, right, and freestyling at the same time, it start to swerve. So it's, it's really hard to drive and freestyle at the same time. I'm not, I'm not good at freestyling. I've tried it before, though, like by myself. But uh, you definitely, it's definitely a really hard thing to do. So uh, a lot of times you see like the passengers will be freestyling, and the driver, you know, just kind of like, you know, sit there. It's really just try it one time if the road is clear and you see what I'm talking about. Yeah, and your parking um, lot guys, like we're not yeah, actually yeah. going out on the interstate and freestyling, crashing in the car. Watching everybody get in the car accident <laughs> like after this podcast. Disclaimer, everyone, disclaimer. Be be smart. But. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, so so your your body starts to shut down when you're trying to be creative. And you kinda of see that happen when you, you see high level athletes in high stress situations where they have to come up with a solution very fast, their movement patterns start to degrade. Mm. It's not as smooth as, you know, as they always look, you know, during a, a play, right? So a uh, coach calls a play, it looks smooth as hell because it's already pre-planned, right? So like someone like Steph Curry, who has like this really nice jump shot, you know, if he has like 0.5 seconds left on the clock and he has to throw up a shot, does the shot look the same? It probably looks like those old schoolyard, you know, shots where we just toss it up and hope it goes in. Yeah. So... You know, that's why I like using that drill because it just overloads the brain with creativity and spatial awareness. So it's working on a lot of different things. I actually came up with it working with people with um, Parkinson's and CP um, that had problems uh, walking. So I noticed when I overload their brain and, and a lot of elderly uh, clients of mine who I'll talk to them and say, what happened to you when you fell? You know, because a lot of them fall down and get injured. And they say, well, a lot of stuff was going on around me. A big crowd was walking by, it was too much Stimulation. I lost my balance and fell down. So to kind of like re, uh, uh, replay that or um, recreate that, uh, I'll try to overload them cognitively so that it's like overwhelming, and you'll see it start to lose balance and and uh, have a hard time like walking and moving simultaneously. Yeah, that's that, that's fascinating, right? Because I've been the reason you and I started talking was because you knew that I was interested in movement 
as a whole movement theory, movement practices. Um, I've been looking for like the the common root, the Latin root to all the movement languages, so to speak, right? Like you look at dance, you look at fighting, you look at athletics, there's like these movement patterns that are kind of the root of how the human being is supposed to, to move. And now we're also talking about how does your how does your mind move in relation to um, you know your body? And so like what I've been doing a lot now is like train, when I'm studying mobility, I'm going to different camps and training with people who have a little bit of like a modern dance background or a little bit of a martial arts background. And the general theme of it seems to be more in fluidity and creativity in, in during movement patterns rather than stiff and rigid things. So like a dancer, for example, can be creative with their body when they, you know, when they dance, if you just let them freestyle dance, but I guess it would be a different cognitive process if they were to move and have to freestyle with their mouth, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really looked into that. It's an interesting question. Like, you know, how does being creative, like can someone who's very creative artistically, are they creative? Like, you know, with mobility. Yeah. Yeah, and they just move uh, like you just tell them like hey go dance and then boom they can yeah. just go do whatever you know um, or like uh, like fighters like uh, I guess you could you know people have said that Conor McGregor is creative but he's a he fights in a pretty predictive pattern I mean I think yeah. in the beginning when he first started fighting he seemed to be a lot more kind of open but as of late and of course he could correct me he could be I could be completely wrong when he fights Khabib he might come out doing freaking capoeira for all I know but uh, he seems to be fighting in a relative predictive pattern. But there's some fighters out now now that are starting to get super creative. You know? Yeah. And speaking of Khabib, like I saw him in Atlantic City last week too. Oh then, yeah. Yeah, it was crazy because uh, uh, the first round of PFL fights, all those Dagestani guys, they didn't do too good. So I guess really? he decided I'm gonna fly out. Yeah, I'm gonna fly out and like make sure that all these guys went. He cornered every single one of the Dagestani fighters at the PFL fights. Whoa. So. So like what the, the the fighters will do like throughout the week um, at the hotel they'll have like a like a room set up with some mats and stuff and you'll go in there and, and they'll like roll and, and uh, you know they'll, they'll kind of like get ready for a fight. So the night before the PFL fights I was in the room and uh, Kayla Harrison was in there, the two-time uh, gold medalist for judo. She was fighting that night. Um, Jake Shields was in there and there was to be rolling around on the ground. So I was like, oh shit, like best fighter on the planet I'm gonna watch this you know so I gotta watch him train um for a good hour and a half and gotta talk to him a little bit and stuff which is pretty cool yeah. they are extremely serious by the way those guys do not smile they're they don't come off as very friendly <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you know it's just, it's, they're just like even if you follow them on Instagram or whatever, you look like they're going sightseeing and stuff. And at every site, they just have this stone cold look looking at the camera. Like, I'm like, come on, dude, just enjoy yourself just a little bit, you know? Um, but yeah, Khabib was a monster. Like, he he doesn't roll. Like, he just he just smothers his opponent. Like, even in training, like it, I've never seen anybody control the mount as good as Khabib. Really? Like the way he controls the mount and. And that's like one position I feel like is out of all the control positions, kind of a hard one to maintain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially punching and throwing strikes, and you know, it's just easy to get bucked off or, or whatever. You know, and this guy, he just like glues himself to his opponent and just climbs up, and there is zero space whatsoever. Oh, so it was, it was amazing. Like it was like a bear. Really cool to see. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, without wait a minute, he did do that. As a child, <laughs> we just just had a podcast with a guy named Armin, Armin who's on on the um, he's going to be doing hard ready teaching at hard ready. It's a Russian guy, kind of comes from the same area of the planet that uh, Khabib comes from, and he was speaking about that. He was like, "You guys just don't understand." Like people say shit like, "Oh, that was a baby bear." I was like, "It's a bear. It's a two hundred pound monster." <laughs> Like that, yeah. yeah, forget it. Ba- baby my ass. Like, that thing's going <laughs> to destroy you. And then he's going to destroy you if he gets on top of you. So, um, yeah. so a couple of topics popped up. One that just, like, you know, seems to be popular, the, the agility ladder. We discussed the agility ladder um, when right. we were at your – or the footwork ladder or foot speed ladder. Because people call it an agility ladder, but you – made a point to say that it is not and and this is why so could you speak to that a little bit 
Yeah, so like the agility ladder, you know, people go through it and they have to do different footwork drills, but those footwork drills are predetermined, right? And when you think about agility, you know, you're usually reacting to an outside uh, stimulus that's being like thrown at you, or you hear something and then, you, like I was saying, like movement is based off of like a stimulus, right? So with the agility ladder, what's the stimulus? Mm. What are you, what are you what are you changing your direction based off of? What are you changing? If you're not. There's no. There's no out, outside stimulus that's forcing you to change your footwork, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can make the argument maybe that like the, the different rings that are spaced out and seeing them, you know, forces you to recalculate your movement. And, but you're doing the same movement pattern over and over again. So it's a predetermined, it's a pre-planned versus a, a reacting to something that's happening. Um, so that's why I would say like. It shouldn't yeah. yeah, I might be able to get my feet up and down really, really fast from the air to the floor, back to the, you know, the air. But if I can't make the decision about where to put my foot or when to put my foot or if to put my foot, my foot at all, then what good does it do? But do you think as like jumping rope, for example, you think as an attribute builder, it has any merit or do you think it's just there's other things that are better for that? No, well, yeah, I, think, I definitely think like doing footwork drills and, and, uh, like jump roping, anything that involves coordination. I'm all for anything that gets you moving. Like, you know, movement is, is you know, like, like you know, it, I'll never say that, like, that type of movement is bad. You know, don't do it. Like, if, if you're taking moving versus not moving, I'll always choose moving versus not moving. So, um, and then, you know, if, if it's something that, you know, does that help you a lot for that sport? I mean, if, if you feel like you need your footwork, you know, more coordinated and you need faster feet, yeah, you know, go for it. If, if you feel it helps you, and you, can, and you can see that it helps you, then why not? You know, some people are, are don't have the footwork or foot speed to, to, you know, do like reactionary training and stuff like that. So sometimes they need to build up that base first before they start reacting to outside stimulus. You know, see people falling down or like bumping into things and, you know, there's levels to this stuff. So, yeah, for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, it's like that whole idea of you got to have hardware to support the software, you know, like uh, my one of my favorite. I don't know why this this scene in a movie has stuck with me, but this is a Muhammad Ali, the Ali movie with uh, Will Will Smith. And I think he's fighting Frazier at the end, right when he's kind of come off of his hiatus when he was um, uh, banned from boxing. And you hear his inter- internal dialogue and he goes he's pinned up against the corner and he goes, move legs. He's talking yeah, to himself and then he doesn't move. And then yeah. he gets hit and he goes down and he picks himself back up. And that immediately was like the idea on the other end of the spectrum, like he had the ability to make the decision, but his hardware, meaning his body, didn't support his software. Like he was too slow, too tired, not in the same shape that he was in order to make that. Or, I mean, maybe there's an argument that reality is in the movie he wasn't able to actually process the information fast enough yeah so i don't, I don't know it, it it's like i le- i saw that and then i started talking to you and i was like oh that's what he's that's what he okay i get that <laughs> i get that you know because i think for me like i'm i'm i think i'm a relatively slow dude honestly i don't think i'm a ex- extremely fast I, i've spent enough time in my craft to have developed timing where I have yeah. perceived speed. Like, I get there faster than you think I'm gonna get there because I've already predicted where you're gonna be. But yeah. that punch isn't moving that fast. It just, just isn't. <laughs> I'm not a fast dude. <laughs> she, she, she just likes everybody and say it is moving that fast. So yeah, I'm just saying, I'll, I'll tell people I'm fast, <laughs> but you know, if they're listening to this podcast, they'll know like I'm a slow dude. So I'm just outthinking you, sort of. <laughs> so man, like I, I tag you on a lot of stuff on, on social media because yeah. Like, I, I'm like, God, like, I'm not afraid. I want to know, because there's so much stuff out there about cognition and reaction now that it's so popular That's I want to get an expert on and go, hey, is this valid and this not? And more times than not, when you comment on it, it 
it's not valid. Are there any things out there right now that just drive you nuts when you see it over and over again from people who are saying they're doing reaction timing? The yeah. mic is yours, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, anything that, like, cause, um, one piece of equipment that I use is the fit lights. Um, so they're like these little pods that light up. Um, it's a pretty expensive piece of equipment, but I like it because it records your reaction time up to one one thousandth of a second. So I'm able to graph out and show people the results, you know, after training. Like, hey, this is where you started, this is where you're at. Um, so I see a lot of stuff online where people are using the fit lights, and that, that frustrates me a lot too because, like, just the mechanics are wrong, or there's a couple, you know, you see, you see, especially with fighters and stuff too. I remember I saw one video that the UFC uh, facility in um, Vegas, they have like this high tech facility or whatever, and they had a fit light set up, and one of the fighters just like, you know, throwing their arms up and hitting the lights right with no form whatsoever. Like, what is that doing for you, like in your craft? You know, like it doesn't, you know, anybody could do that and, and think they're getting faster, but does that make you're going to be able to jab faster you're going to move faster so like certain certain things yeah a lot I'll say like 90% of stuff out there frustrates me yeah yeah I can only imagine man I I, I, I see I, I don't see the look on your face but when you're writing you write back very you know professionally <laughs> but I can only imagine your eyes rolling half the time when I go hey what do you think about this thing it's like well that's probably bullshit yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of gimmicky stuff out there, so I, I always tell people like you know be careful. And I hate it because it 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 delegitimizes me in a sense because you know it's, it's kind of like as a martial artist, you see some of this like crazy stuff out there, you know, like that that just whack it. So you, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Sure. There's, there's so many there's so many uh, like you say McDojos and this and that. And you know when the average person sees that, they're like, "Oh, this is the shit. This is gonna, this is gonna help me in a fight." No, no, it's not. You know, and, and it ruins it. It ruins it for you as, as someone in the craft. You know, so when I see stuff like that, yeah, it's frustrating. Because then I when I go talk to someone, they're like, "Oh yeah, like I met Anthony Pettis, right? I went to Milwaukee, and uh, one of the UFC fighters I was working with said, "Yo, you gotta come to Dude Rufus's gym. There's a bunch of guys there that would be into this." So I went there and demoed it for all the guys. And I met Anthony Pettis, and uh, the, the fighter I was working with, he's like, yeah, just give you a heads up, he's a little skeptical about this stuff. I was like, yeah, man, you know, I'm, I, I, you know, I see it all the time. So I met Pettis, he was like, yeah, yeah, the light stuff, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. I don't think it works. I'm like, well, why not? You know, I asked him, I was like, why, why don't you? He's like, yeah, the guy that I was teaching was like football trainer, you know, he had me in these lights and stuff, and everybody's trying to sell me the lights right now. You know? <laughs> I'm like, all right, well, you know, I'm gonna set up over here, and if you wanna, try it out it's there you know if not it was right before it was the week before the McGregor fiasco at, at the pay-per-view fight when he threw the chair and stuff so I, it was right before that that um, that fight was in the middle of his training camp and uh, but yeah like you know if, if he hadn't been exposed to some stupid shit out there like that I think he would have been more willing to like oh let me give this a try and you know check it out maybe it has some merit you know but there's so much bullshit out there it just kind of ruins it for everybody or anybody who's like trying to do something legit. Yeah. So if something that I found really helpful for me to not look like the guy that's just constantly like dissing everyone, it's like rather than picking out people, I would say, okay, well, this is what you should be looking for to see if something's bullshit. So if there's a couple of things that people could be looking for to see if a drill may be legit or not, what would be a, a couple of one of those couple of those things? So the first thing look at the mechanics. Does the guy understand the mechanics, right? Um, like if you're a fighter, is he throwing a proper jab when he's reacting? Like is that how he would be reacting in a fight? Um, then look at uh, let's say other than that, um, mechanics and. Uh, I'll just look at the guy's background too. Just search into the guy. Like, what what does he do? If he's if he's an Uber driver, you know, and <laughs> has has like no background in in whatever, and he's trying to you know show himself as like this uh, this expert, you know, what I'm saying. Then that would be the first step of like look into people's backgrounds. That, that's that's uh, if you're if you're looking into something, it is your right to check into like is this guy educated like does he know what he's talking about I think nowadays with like social media and you know just like so much information being thrown out there it's very easy for someone to pass themselves off it's like 
you know, they know something, right? Um, like, I, I'll tell people that I don't know a lot. I'm, I'm constantly asking, like, physical therapists and doctors and, you know, like, anybody I've been, like, a seminar for or whatever. There's a doctor in front of, like, if anything you, you think I'm saying is bullshit, you know, just tell me and I'm totally down to learn, you know? So, you know, I think a lot of times you get a lot of people who, who, who try to say they're experts and stuff. So, I always say, like, question, like, people's knowledge base first and, and mm-hmm. see if it applies go from there it makes sense yeah even um, like when I, I walked into a gym I'm not going to disclose the name of this gym because I actually like the people there but there was a lot of there's a lot of bullshit going on uh, one of them being the the ball trick where you know you have a ball held out at the end of your jab and then yeah. you switch and then throw your left hand back catch the ball with your right hand and then you're yeah. kind of mystically making the ball stay in one place and they're kind of calling it a reaction drill. And so for the layperson, what's missing in that equation? So, so that's that all over drill, Instagram. I, remember when I, when I, I think you sent that to me too. You're like, hey, what do you think about this? Yeah. About and, and the thing is you gotta look at like where, like I was saying, it starts with a stimulus, right? What's the initial stimulus when you're holding the ball? And what's your initial stimulus when you're throwing a jab? Your initial stimulus when you're throwing a jab is a visual stimulus, right? You see something, you throw it. With the ball, holding the ball, your initial stimulus is a tactile stimulus. Your hand is feeding your brain information of where that ball is in space. Once you let go of the ball, you know you know where it's gonna be, it's predictable, right? So you're, you're not reacting to the what you're seeing visually, you're reacting to what you feel. So that, from the start, you know, doesn't make it very, you know, applicable in the sense like, is this a, re- a visual reactionary drill? You know, yeah. um, so that that was my problem with that one. I can see how it could be beneficial for other things. You know, like if, if you if you want to teach someone bring their hand back, you know, when yeah. throwing a punch or something like just basic mechanics at a low level. A coordination you know? drill to get in your yeah. left and right hand back. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but you know, if you're if you're trying to you know, advertisers like this is going to improve your reaction time on your jab. It's not. Like, I don't think so. Mm. What's your cons? What's your thought on like juggling? I can't do it. I have never. I, I let me let me change that. I have never attempt. I've never put in time to learn how to juggle. Does that have any? Do you think that has any benefit on like cognition, reaction, your mind being able to? That thing is that's a good thing. Like, you know, it doesn't hurt. I don't think it could hurt what you're doing. Um, I see a lot of like that, uh, like very renowned coaches implementing like juggling into their routine and stuff um, with, with, with certain athletes, especially like goalies. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of that hand coordination stuff with goalies, like juggling off the wall and stuff like that. Um, I can I can see how. Uh, it has had benefits with like hand-eye coordination, timing, um, being able to uh, track multiple objects simultaneously. Mm. Um, so I think there's merit to it, you know. But I think that it depends on what you're applying it to. Sure. You know, I think it's good for goalies. Like, it's very good for like goalies. Um, but for a fighter, I don't know. I wouldn't use it personally. Yeah. Like with a fight. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole like you know you're telling me the the outside stimulus like what is the stimulus i think that's the thing that keeps coming back it's like okay if if you, if you are your own stimulus then it's not really a reaction yeah. cognition drill you know like if you're just if i throw a, i mean if i throw a ball up and then catch the ball yeah there's coordination involved in that but that's not really actual reaction that's just yeah, you're- catching a ball yeah, you're predicting. You're predicting where it's at. You're controlling where it's going, so you're not reacting to where it's going. You're controlling it. Controlling it. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point, man. Um, so, how? What's next? What do you think is next for? What's the next level with the cognition and reaction training? Where do you see this going in, like the sport of MMA and boxing? Where do you Where do you think this This is going. Uh. Well, I know what I'm trying to do. Like, I'm well, let's go with be, that then. <laughs> what are you yeah, trying to do? I'm trying to be the the leader in that in that aspect. Like, in in the time that I talked to, talked to a lot of big partners, um, 
Uh, we've, we've partnered with an athletic gear company that uh, specializes in fight gear, and they're about to blow up. Um, and we've talked to a lot of big agents and stuff like that. So, so I'm working on a lot of things like in this field. Um, you know, from the time I started, I broke off and started doing my own thing till now. It's been a couple months, and I went from you know trying to get people to come out and see what I'm doing to you know working with some of the top fighters. That, I mean, Brian Jennings, he's going, he's he's probably in line for the next heavyweight title fight um, in boxing. So they're already talking to like. I know Top Rank's trying to get him to fight um, Anthony Joshua. Like they're they're Whoa. trying to work something out. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, Anthony Joshua right now is doing like I think like 15 million a fight or something like that. Some Ooh. ridiculous number. Ooh. And he doesn't want to take any like risky fights like a Wilder. You know, he wants to still make that that money. Like yeah. Deontay Wilder. Like you know, he's on particularly like Caveman in there. Um, so you know, I think I think uh, Jennings would be like a good fight for him, or even some of those other top level guys. So so whoever Jennings fight next is going to be a big big uh big name hopefully i'm hoping so you know but uh you know then you know we went from that to doing espn fights and stuff and pfl and ufc and all that other stuff so um like i definitely want to be at the forefront i'm actually working on a certification program um that you know yeah so you know we talked about that you know a while ago but i've been i've been working hard on it so um sign me up man you're your first student yeah, for sure. So I want to be able to certify people, like other trainers, teach them like everything I've learned from college to seven years of working like in this, and and so that they can develop their own like reactionary programs, and you know just uh, get out there and, and you know I think every trainer could benefit from from having a, a reactionary cognitive, uh, cognitive reactionary certification. It, it can be applied to any client you have, whether they're a pro fighter to a kid to someone like a neuromuscular disorder so um that's something i'm really pushing hard for we got a lot of uh, good feedback and we got a lot of good partners that hopefully can help us like build that up and, and make it into something big yeah but, so yeah that's where that's where i see the industry going hopefully hell <laughs> yeah you're gonna be the spe- the, the expert brother well hopefully. i mean i got going yeah well you're going in the right direction as you've you've gone up you know you've grown leaps and bounds since the last time we talked i'm a huge proponent of what you do that's why i love having you on the show and be able to share it with like our community um hopefully this gets some some attention your way you guys have to go check it out you can't talking about is one thing the experience of it is is more eye-opening than the information so um if you get a chance to train with them make sure you you do that how can people get in touch with you i'm always down to travel wherever and, and, and demo stuff you know um and we've gone all over the country you know training fighters um and other athletes too uh but yeah you can check me out on instagram at neural movement uh we also have a webpage www.neuralmovement.org um, there's a lot of information on there, but I post a lot of videos on Instagram. I try to post like a video a day, you know, different like reactionary drills or exercises that I do. Um, so yeah, you can contact me on Instagram if you're interested, or you know, if they're friends of yours, they can hit you up and you know how to contact me. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, I'm very, I'm very uh, active on Instagram too. So I'm always like replying to people and stuff. Yeah, I've, I'm gonna put your all your information. Um, in the show notes and that way if they want to get in touch with you they'll, uh, they'll have that opportunity any closing thoughts anything you want people to kind of know about what you do and where you're going uh, I mean you know, I'm down to work with anybody uh, like I just love you know just meeting new people like every time I've met somebody new and worked with them it's opened another big door or something else so um, I'm super open to working with whoever you know if I'm able to so yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely yeah. want to commend you. Like, you're, uh, if there's something that seems to be uh, an overarching thing with people who are really, really successful, is their 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 willingness to um, continue to learn as much as they teach, not only from new new um, teachers, but from their students as well. Like, every time you get a new athlete in front of you, you're learning something new, and right. and every high level person that I've talked to up to this point has that including yourself so i want to acknowledge you for that and and continue to keep embracing that man because it's gonna it's gonna take you far it's already taking you far so 
Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate You've always been supportive of me, so, like, you know, since the first day I met you, like I said, it's tough to get people to even, like, check the stuff out sometimes. It was tough. It's starting to get a little bit easier now, but... Yeah. yeah I, really, I really appreciate it. I, I never forget the people, you know, at the beginning who, you know, showed support or anything, so... I'm a first responder, know. dude. I'm a first responder. If I, get a, if I get a whiff of something going somewhere... I'm on board, you know, you know, that's all I need. And then if I can help spread the word, I'm, I'm, I'm down. So any, anything you need from our end, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I do it. You guys better jump on board in this before it gets too big and he, and his, his workshop sell out. So you need to contact him now, be a first responder, get, get your mind right, get your mind fighting and moving in the way that you need to move in order to be successful, whatever you guys do. So just remind everybody you are a fighter the day you decide to become one. And today might be that day. Stay focused, everyone. Take care. This has been another great episode of The Fight Focus. For show notes and links, visit us on the web at www.thefightfocus.libsyn. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N.com. You can always check us out on Spotify and iTunes as well. Go to any of those pages, like, comment, subscribe, and share. Thank you for the support, everyone. Mm -hmm.